In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Greetings to you in Christ Jesus. May his grace, his mercy, and his peace be with you. What we see going on in our culture today is largely driven, if not entirely driven, by the fear of death. Because the simple fact is, if you've rejected God, as most people in our country seem to have, if you have rejected God, then all you have is this life. And if all you have is this life, then you must incessantly protect it. And you must protect that life so that you can live your best life now. And anyone who might cause you any pain whatsoever is to be outlawed, ostracized, and put away because this life is precious, because this life is all we have. So too then our government officials have delusions of grandeur that in supposedly protecting this little morsel of life that is all we have, they themselves are our saviors and their legislation is to be to us sacramental, life-giving and life-protecting. From this fear of death, then perversely in our society, comes a strange worship of death. We acknowledge that death is the one power over us, and so we intend to use death as power over others. Thus, the violence in our country... Thus, also, even certain festivities, the shape and form that Halloween has taken and its emphasis on violent death, as well as Dia de los Muertos. But more deeply than this, we can look to our country's incessant warring and desire to meddle in other countries' affairs, along with the violence everywhere in our media and entertainment, in our games, etc. We can then see this manifesting itself, this fear of death and then this converse worship of death as our culture's sacraments take form. Abortion, the power of death over another, then also euthanasia, as well as suicide, the power of death even over one's self. How different, how vastly different our Lord's response to death is. When news comes to our Lord that John the Baptist, his beloved cousin, his forerunner, has been put to death by Herod. Jesus does not panic, does not respond in violence. He simply goes out into the wilderness on his own to pray. Foremost in our Savior's mind is that when his hour comes, by his own death, he will trample death under his feet. And by his own death, he will break the power of death, not only for himself, but for all of us, so that on the last day, not only John, but each and every one of us will rise in our bodies to stand before God. Jesus has no fear of death. He isn't pushed around by death. As he goes into the wilderness to pray, the crowds follow him. And our Lord Jesus turns, and he has 
compassion. Compassion. The opposite of what our current culture has for anyone. Jesus has compassion on the crowds. He heals them of their sicknesses. And as they fill their ears with his teaching and as the day draws on and as his disciples say, Lord, it's time to send them back to the villages so that they can get food, Jesus says, I don't think so. Not only is he going to have compassion, heal them, he's going to have compassion and feed them. So I've titled this homily, The Compassion of God. And how deeply we need to be reminded of the compassion of God because of the compassionless direction our culture and society have gone, particularly in the coronavirus crisis and in the ongoing cultural crises that we see. As examples of compassionless culture, we have the cancel culture. We, of course, also have the militant intolerance of the rainbow mafia, the LGBT mob. We have the fascism of Antifa. We also have violence and an utter lack of compassion exhibited in the capital B, capital L, capital M, Black Lives Matter movement. In the face of all of these compassionless movements, we need to be reminded that God is not like this. God has compassion to the crowds. He heals to the crowds. He feeds. And as Jesus takes the five loaves and two fish and multiplies them to feed the crowd, we glimpse a deeper reality. We glimpse that not only does Jesus merely feed them that day, but that our Lord and God feeds us each and every day. It's a glimpse into the compassion of our God that all too often we ignore and take for granted, but is nonetheless there, manifest on our dining room tables three times a day. Our Lord teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And Luther's small catechism so brilliantly expands on this petition in this way. God will certainly give daily bread to all people even without our prayers. But he includes in there that not only will God give daily bread to all people, but he will give it even to evil people without our prayers. And we pray in this petition that God would lead us to realize this and to receive our daily bread with thanksgiving, to receive our daily bread as a gift of God's compassion, but then also to see that in the fact that everyone in our country has food on their table, that is an act of God's grace, mercy, and compassion, his fatherly care. This means that every meal is revelatory. It reveals who our God and Father is. It reveals what we and all the people around us take for granted, 
that God is compassion. Without his compassion, we'd all be gone. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has these challenging words for us, but they're quite fitting. He begins, you have heard it said that you should love your neighbors and hate your enemies. And, well, our culture is doing a pretty good job of that, wouldn't you say? But I say, says our Lord, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may become sons of your Father who is in the heavens. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain upon the righteous and upon the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do this? And if you greet your brothers only, then what more are you doing than others? Don't the Gentiles do the very same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And boy, have we misinterpreted that word perfect. What is plainly in view here is our Heavenly Father's compassion and his mercy even upon those who hate him. And the call for us to be perfect here isn't moral perfection. The Lord Jesus himself knows how impossible this is for us. In fact, he blesses us that we hunger and thirst for a righteousness we don't possess. What is this perfection that he does set before us and inspire us toward? That just as our Heavenly Father is compassionate and merciful to those who deserve it not, that we ourselves must be. And so then we realize who God is and who we are. We become sons of our heavenly, compassionate Father. The second thing that the feeding of the 5,000 shows us, as Jesus takes the loaves and takes the fish and distributes them out to the crowd, we see hints, not merely of God's provision of daily bread, but we see hints of God's provision of that unique bread the very bread of life, the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus given for us. With the background of maybe, well, there's, there's more than a few, but let's just take three this morning, Old Testament events. We can see how the Lord's Supper begins to shine through from this text also. The first would be, as Moses leads the people into the wilderness, the people grumble, and he gives them manna, bread from heaven. So to our Lord Jesus leads this group of people into the wilderness, and as one greater than Moses, he doesn't receive the bread from heaven from God to give to the people, but he gives it himself. And as Jesus' own commentary in John 6 on this event goes, Jesus tells us that he himself is also the very bread of life, that whoever eats of his body and drinks of his flesh has life. So, too, in the Old Testament, we remember that very famous, probably the most famous psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Isn't it interesting how Matthew begins his text by telling us that Jesus leads them into a desolate place, a wilderness, 
And then Jesus has them sit down on the grass. Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the Lord who provides for all our needs. The third text that we might bring to mind would be when Elisha takes 20 of these very small barley loaves and multiplies them by God's power, multiplies them out to feed 100. Here our Lord Jesus, who is God himself, takes but five loaves and multiplies them out for 5,000 men, not counting the women and children. A greater than Elisha is here. All of these miraculous feedings and the many more that occur in the Old Testament all point to the one great miraculous feeding. When our Lord Jesus, on the night when he's betrayed, takes bread and takes wine and says, eat of this, it is my body. Drink of this, it is my blood, given and shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. When the catacombs in uh, ancient Rome were uncovered, uh, talking about just the first centuries of Christianity, uh, amongst these burial, these subterranean burial grounds, what they found, Christian art depicting, was these five loaves and two fish, but they were depicted in such a way that the people were participating in the Lord's Supper. So they connected this miraculous feeding with the Lord's Supper. Jesus takes what is finite, five loaves and two fish, and distributes it to all. So he takes his body, which is finite, and distributes it to all. But why in their burial chambers? Because what he gives us in the Eucharist is truly the bread of life. Truly the bread of immortality, as the early church tells us. To eat his bread and drink from his cup is to have life. Life even in the midst of death. We can tell, too, in a subtle way how Matthew wants us to think about these things just by the verbs he uses. If you look at this account again with, these, with this lens on, you'll see that Jesus takes the, the bread and fish he gives thanks, he says a blessing, he breaks the bread, and he gives. All those same verbs that we see reappear when he institutes his supper. What we draw and gather from this, then, is that life, life isn't something that we have and possess of ourselves. Life is a gift. Life comes from outside of us into us, and that life comes only from Jesus. Now, what is the great destroyer of our ability to see the generosity and compassion of our God? What is the great destroyer? In our culture, it's one word, entitlement. Entitlement. We think we deserve. And because we're entirely self-centered and egotistical, we always think we deserve more. Our focus turns increasingly to what we don't have. And when our focus turns to what we don't have, then we become increasingly thankless. And in becoming increasingly thankless, we begin to eye what others have and desire that for ourselves. 
when this reaches a, a massive scale, you have societies like ours moving towards socialism and communism, this redistribution, this forced redistribution of wealth. My neighbor has more than me, and I want it. Legalized theft. St. Isaac the Syrian, a 7th century bishop and ascetic, gives us a list, and it's worthwhile for us to consider and ponder each one of us in our hearts. These are the things that blind us to God's compassion and bind us to this world. He says, weakness for wealth and for collecting and owning things of different kinds. The urge for physical or sensuous enjoyment. The longing for honor, which is the root of envy. The desire to conquer and be the deciding factor. Pride in the glory of power. The urge to adorn oneself and to be liked by others. Ouch the craving for praise and recognition, concern and anxiety over physical well-being. These are the things that blind us and bind us, causing us to lose sight of who God really is and who we really are. In this coronavirus crisis, in this cultural crisis, we have a unique call. God is speaking through a loudspeaker that we might consider our mortality, that we might consider our fears and how it is that we prioritize those fears that we might see rightly and accurately the brevity, the uncertainty, the passing nature of this life. And we Christians might also recall that in Christ, we have truly been given eternal life. That means that now is the time for growth now is the time to receive loving discipline from our Heavenly Father. As the scriptures say, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now is a time to realize that precisely those things we lack and do not have, we lack and do not have for our good. Because our Heavenly Father has our eternal well-being and our eternal joy in mind. He isn't calling us to less. He's calling us to more. So in this time of crisis, in this time of judgment, let us judge ourselves as the scriptures instruct. During this time, many of us have cleaned up our houses Let's do some spiritual house cleaning. During this time, many of us have realized we need to eat better. Let us consider what spiritual food we are daily consuming. Let us all take opportunity to downsize from this world 
and return to that spiritual simplicity and beauty of which our Savior speaks. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Jesus had compassion on the crowds in their weakness, and he most certainly has compassion on us also. The fish and loaves point us to his compassion in daily bread. The fish and loaves point us to his compassion in his holy supper. And these all together point us to the compassion that he had once and for all, the greatest symbol of his compassion and expression of it, when our Lord Jesus lays down himself for us and gives his own life that we might have eternal life and sheds his own blood that we might not only be cleansed of all our sins, but that we might be filled with that life which is his own life. There are many other lessons that we could draw from this text. We could think about the beauty of the pastoral office, how Jesus very shockingly says to his disciples, you feed them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> That's exactly like the pastoral office. Lord, what do we have to give but what you provide? We could meditate too on the church and that even when we give everything we have, it's as paltry as those five loaves and two fish. It's not enough. And yet somehow in Christ, it is. We could meditate on the five loaves and the two fish, how five plus two is seven. We could talk also about what the 12 leftover baskets might represent. But I think it's enough for today for us to focus on this all-important point. Our God is compassionate. The world is not. He is, and we are called to be. Life isn't a time for self-satisfaction. Life is a time to become increasingly aware of who our Heavenly Father is and to become increasingly like Him, merciful and compassionate, not to those who deserve it, but to all. And it's a time to remember and learn what food teaches us. Life is not something we possess of ourselves. Life is a gift. And eternal life is a gift given freely in Christ Jesus alone. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs>